All right, we're going to start off again this evening in Colossians chapter 4. We'll only be there for a minute, kind of use it as our jumping off place, then we'll go to the 139th Psalm, and then later to Exodus 21. So if you want to be pre-finding some of those, the 139th Psalm and Exodus 21. We'll be going there here in just a few minutes. But of course, this morning we looked at how we as Christians ought to respond uh, to those who hold a different viewpoint than we do, specifically uh, focusing in on the issue of abortion. Of course, with that being brought in to the uh, spotlight nationally over the last several weeks, and especially on Friday with the Supreme Court decision. And so let's look again real quick. There's something that I left out this morning on purpose because it was a good place to jump off uh, for tonight's message. Uh, look with me again in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Pray with me tonight. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that your word uh, is just as true today as it was the day you inspired it to be penned by, by Paul, and as we'll see later, uh, penned by David, penned by uh, Moses. Father, we thank you that your word applies to us today, and thank you that your word is true today. We thank you that your word uh, never fails, that your word is always true. And Father, I just pray that you'd give us all the message that we need from your word. Help me to speak your word and only your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you see how Paul ended here in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6? I kind of left that off. I kind of stopped with the whole seasoned with salt thing this morning. But he says we ought to do all of that. We ought to let your speech be with grace, be kind. It ought to be seasoned with salt. Why? He says that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You need to know how to answer each one. Now, specifically today, we're talking about the abortion issue. He's talking about anyone who's on the outside, anyone who believes differently and has a different viewpoint on any issue, any other viewpoint other than what the Bible says. So he says you need to know how to answer each unbeliever. It reminds me of another passage of Scripture. You probably know it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, when Peter says we ought to be ready to make a defense for our salvation. We ought to be able to tell people why we're saved and how we're saved. We ought to be, able to, we ought to be ready to explain what we believe. And so as we look at this issue of abortion this weekend and we say, if somebody walked up to you on the street and said, why are you pro-life? Could you give any answer other than, well, because the Bible is pro-life? Now, that's a good answer. But don't get me wrong, that's a good answer. But if they said, prove it. If they said, show me in the Bible where it says abortion is wrong. We had to be real honest and say, you know what? There is no place where you will open this Bible up and find thou shalt not have an abortion. Those exact words are not there. Thou shalt not murder is certainly there. 
Don't steal is certainly there, but you won't open it up and find a thou shalt not have an abortion. Oh, but it's here. We just have to dig a little deeper and look at it. And this is especially important because, as we said this morning, there, the, there are still parts of the nation where abortion is legal. Not legal in Arkansas, but it is in other places. The day may come when the Supreme Court decides to overturn other very hotly debated social issues. And we need to be ready to make a defense on where we believe, where we stand on each of these issues. But what is important is to remember that it's not society that decides what we believe, is it? It's the Word of God. I do like uh, a statement I saw uh, this week. I, did, I shared it on Facebook. I think it was Thursday that this came out uh, in anticipation of the um, announcement by the court. Uh, Albert Moeller, he's a conservative um, speaker, and he's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He said, what is right and wrong is not ultimately established by a court, a church, or any human body whatsoever. It is ultimately established by God who is himself perfectly just, perfectly good, infinitely righteous. He alone determines what's right and wrong, consistent with his own character. So we look into the character of God, we look into the word of God to find out what's right and wrong on this issue of abortion. So we'll start out in the 139th Psalm tonight, Psalm 139. We won't take time to read the entire psalm. It doesn't all deal with what we're looking at tonight, but it all deals with God's knowledge of man, God's creation of man, and it's a beautiful psalm. I encourage you to go back and read it if you haven't read it lately. But we're going to look at just a few verses here, some very familiar verses, I hope, that begin to show us the Bible's crystal clear answer concerning abortion. And when does life begin? You know, that's really one of the biggest questions around the entire abortion debate is when does life begin? We believe life begins at conception, and we'll see that here in this verse. Others on the other end of the spectrum believe life begins when the baby is born and takes a breath. What does God's word say? Psalm 139, look beginning in verse 13. David says, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Some very profound statements written here uh, by, by David in this 139th Psalm, he says, Before I even had days, you had a plan for my life. Well, we can just stop right there and say, your life's valuable, isn't it? Every life's valuable because just like David, we can say, before I even had days, God had a plan for my days, and God's got a plan for my life, and therefore my life is important and my life is valuable. But David recognizes here that God and God alone formed him. No life exists 
that is not allowed to exist and created to exist by God himself. He says there, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Some of you, or maybe all of us, are familiar with the NIV and maybe some other translations say, You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So I had to stop and do a little bit of research. Okay, because it says, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, you covered me in my mother's womb. The NIV says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Which is it? I looked up that Greek word that is translated there, and it can be translated either way. But what a beautiful picture it is either way. You can either read it and say, you formed me. You actually knitted me together. Or you can take the covering translation, which has the picture of someone covering for protection, and you can say, you formed me, and then you protected me in my mother's womb. Either way you look at it, it's a beautiful picture. So we won't spend too much time debating which one is right there. What is, what is settled is that David said, you formed me, God. But most relevant to the issue we face today comes down in verse 16. Let's read that again. He says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. He says, Your eyes saw my substance. So I looked up that little word, substance, as it is translated here, in the New King James Version. And it comes from a Hebrew word, golem, G-O-L-E-M, golem. Boy, this is where my mind just blew up, okay? Golem, translated to Latin, is embryo. Embryo. David says, you saw me as an embryo. Now, why is that significant? Because he says, your eyes saw me as an embryo, and you cared about me. You planned my life. Why is that so significant? Because it goes straight to the abortion debate. By and large, most of the babies who are aborted are aborted in the embryonic state. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the moment of conception. The egg is fertilized, and it is no longer seen as an egg. It now becomes an embryo. For the next several weeks, I think what I read up to like eight weeks, eight weeks, scientists then call it a fetus. But for those first, we're talking about the very first eight weeks following from the moment of conception, it's an embryo. And David says, from that very earliest moment of my existence, when I was just a few cells big, that's all it is, just a few cells, and of course they multiply, and you know how they split, and it's been a long time since I've taken science class, but anyway, like high school, I may have taken one in college, I don't know, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree, so they didn't require me to take a lot of science classes, you know, but David says, from the moment I was an embryo, you cared about me. From that very earliest stage of my mother's pregnancy, 
you had my life planned out. The fact that God himself, God's got a lot of things going on in the world, doesn't he? I mean, of course, even in David's day, you think the world's complicated today, it was just as complicated in David's day. God's got all these other, as we see them, problems to deal with, and yet he takes the time to plan the upcoming life of an embryo. I would submit to you that God cares about human life from the very moment of conception based on what David says in the 139th Psalm. And you say, well, that's just one verse. Well, yeah, that's one verse, but there's more. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jeremiah says this, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God told Jeremiah that before he was ever even formed in the womb, he already had a relationship with him. He says while he was, uh, before he was born, and, and the wording there in Jeremiah signifies, when he says before you were born, while he's in his mother's womb, and we don't know if that's during the time he was an embryo or the time he was a fetus, if we're using the scientific terms, but while he was in the womb, God said it was during that time that I sanctified you. An unborn human, as they sometimes call them, or what did I hear the other day? They are calling them preborn people. I don't know. A lot of these commentators are also no longer referring to pregnant women. They're referring to pregnant people. But anyway, we'll digress, and I'll move back to the Scripture. Uh, in Isaiah, we find another example. Isaiah 49.1, Isaiah says, The Lord called me from the womb. God had plans for Jeremiah he had plans for Isaiah. He had plans for David before they were ever born. Just like he's got plans for you and he's got plans for me. Or he had plans for you and had plans for me, still does, but he had them even before we were born, while we were still in our mother's womb. And he's got plans for every single child that is conceived. And abortion destroys the ability for that child to fulfill that plan. I would submit to you that God's got a plan for all of us. And if those passages are not enough to tell you that God cares about the unborn child, let's go back to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21, this one caused me to do even more uh, in-depth study. God's handed down the Ten Commandments, and he's handing down more specific rules and laws about um, how they're to interact with one another. We see, uh, or the, the heading in, in uh, my Bible here in, in chapter 21 uh, over verse 12 says, law, the law concerning violence. And it's within this section that we find another place where God identifies a baby as a human being. Verse 22 he says, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge 
as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In the course of a fight between two men, a pregnant woman gets hit presumably in her abdomen. A scary situation. Of course, if any, of course, ladies, those of you who have been pregnant, men, if you, you know, your wife's been pregnant, and you know, I remember Mary was working at Hope Schools when she was pregnant with Truett, and one day she slipped on a wet floor, and of course, the school nurse made her go to the ER. Boy, that you know, you're, is everything okay? And of course, everything was okay. You know, he's even got a cool new hairdo over there that Denise took care of this week. You know, that was not a result of him falling on the floor. But you get concerned when something happens. Well, in this situation, these men are fighting, and this woman gets hurt, and this woman is pregnant. So, so in the law here, we have two situations. In the first situation, she gives birth because she is hit in the stomach so hard, it causes her to go into labor. She gives birth. And uh, in the first example, no harm follows, meaning the mama's okay, the baby's okay. But the guilty party, whoever hit her, is still fined. And I think this is interesting because it specifically says is fined. The fine that's imposed is whatever the husband says that is then approved by the judge. Okay, the judge is there to make sure it's not too, exorb, you know, too, too exorbitant, if I can say that word. Make sure it's not too big of a judgment. Now, why, even if it, and here's the thing, even if it's unintentional, this fine goes into place. Why? Well, because she might not go into labor immediately. She might get hit in the stomach, and this may drag out a little while, then she goes into labor because of it. And just like that day I drove to Hope because Mary had been taken to the hospital, you know, there's some anxiety going on there till you find out that everything's okay. Well, they didn't have the little ultrasound monitors in this day, did they? They just had to wait it out. And so the fine that we see here in our present day, we would say these are compensatory damages. This is for the pain and suffering, so to speak. This is for mental anguish is the reason these fines. Everybody's okay, but because you cause some mental anguish, there's a fine. I felt I needed to explain all that, even though it doesn't have to do with what we're talking about today. He says in verse 23, but if harm follows. Now, that's all he says, if harm follows. So we have to back up to verse 22 and say, all of that happens. The woman is hit. She gives birth prematurely, and harm follows. Then a different set of punishment kicks in. This is... Um, what was referred to as the lex talionis principle, if I say that right, it's essentially the punishment is equivalent to the crime. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And people say, well, that's, that's cruel. Well, no, it was actually to make sure, you know, that if, if you cause somebody to lose their eye, they didn't end up killing you. All that happens, you lost your eye, but you got to keep your life. It was to keep the punishment proportional. Now, if you look at the context here, and I had to do a lot of reading on this, looked at a lot of different 
uh, scholars and a lot of different commentators to see what they say. Who is In verse 23, it says, if any harm follows. What are we talking to? Harm to the mother? Harm to the baby? Either. The consensus is we're talking about if she gets hit, if she gives birth, if something happens to her, if heaven forbid she dies, if something happens to the baby, if the baby ends up being stillborn because of this, the punishment goes into effect. And so here, as far back as Exodus 21, we have uh, the scripture saying, harming an unborn child is worthy of punishment. As a matter of fact, the... Uh, uh, another, one of the scholars I was looking at says that the ancient rabbis saw this law as applying to anyone who caused any harm to an unborn child at all. John MacArthur points to this passage of Scripture and says significantly for the abortion debate, the fetus in this day in, in Exodus 21 in our modern uh, abortion debate we can look to Exodus 21 and see that the fetus was considered a person. And thus someone was held accountable if the fetus was injured or killed. So we have biblical precedent to back up our pro-life stance. It's from Exodus, it's in the Psalms, and through all of Scripture that God values human life at any stage of development. From conception to natural death, God values life. That's the way it was understood by the rabbis of the ancient Jewish days. And I think about 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, that, that, that says, All flesh is grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of the Lord endures forever. We can rest assured that if the word of God viewed the killing of an unborn child to be murder in Exodus 21, the word of God considers it to be that way today. And that's the biblical view on the matter. Is there anything before we move on in the service? Not Brother Eric.